Welcome to Just Between Us, a podcast powered by the Corey Johnson Program for Post-Traumatic Healing in Boston. Every week, we focus on ways to heal from the devastating impact of collective trauma on our world. My name is Reverend Liz Walker. My name is Judell Cummings. And today, we're going to present part two of our compelling conversation with community leader and activist Diane Wilkerson, who knows firsthand the impact of both collective and personal trauma. The fall of Senator Diane Wilkerson was a traumatic event for the entire community. In 2010, she served three years in federal prison for attempted extortion. Diane, we're not here to rejudge that case. You served your time, and as far as I'm concerned, you have more than redeemed yourself. <laughs> I have watched you in this community over the years, and you are at the front line of great change. And so I'm one of your biggest fans. <laughs> but we still need to kind of talk about that experience. And I wanted to talk about the trauma of that experience for you. Because most people don't think of incarceration. I mean, they see people like you as, you know, you're our heroes and you do these exciting things and then maybe something happens to you, but you just handle it. But that was that was all had to be traumatic for you. Oh, you know, um, first, I, I welcome the opportunity to talk about it. I wish people would ask me more about it. Hmm. Um, because I think that they're, you know, one, it's, it's, um, it's therapeutic for me, but uh, personally, but I think it's also something that um, it needs to be shared. I spent my um, adult life as a, you know, a practicing law, but as an advocate, one of the areas that I did a lot of work in was in criminal justice. You know, in that context, to find yourself physically, I had visited the prisons in Massachusetts, had people in my family who had been incarcerated. Um, never thinking that I would actually be on the other side mm. and be in that space where I'm the person that people come to visit. I, I gotta say, I, I'm very careful about how I talk about this piece of it because I don't want anyone to walk away or take away um, uh, any glorified notion of what it is because the, um, the separation and the, 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 the loss of your freedom and coming to grips with that, not being able to just get up and go where you want to go in the moment, was the most difficult and challenging part of it in terms of um, my spiritual uh, walk is that things happen for a reason and that God had me there because he wanted me to see all of what I saw. Um, and what I realized in that experience is that what I thought I knew was nowhere near from the reality of what was going on. Hmm. I'm going to say... 95% of the women that I met were the head of household mm. before they got there. And just thinking about what that would mean to the families they left. For the time that they were there in Connecticut, did not know physically where their children were. Um, think their, about that. Their kids were taken away in case? Yes. Wow. In, in foster care, you know, families unable to take them, so they were in foster care. You think healthcare is a challenge on this side? Um, so imagine having constant complaints about um, uh, uh, fibroids and bleeding. We had one young woman from New York who we literally would take turns like wrapping her in sheets during every month. She would soak through them. Mm. Um, we would have to take her mattress out in the back and they would have to replace it. 
And finally, she gets after her family, gets an attorney and sues them so she could get the uh, operation. Mm. She goes, she leaves to go for, uh, was supposed to be gone a week for the operation. And she came back the next day, devastated, because it turned out when they did the um, exam, she was at stage three breast cancer. Oh, gosh. Mm. And they said, well, obviously, we got to deal with that first. And so they put the fibroid. Uh, uh, op- I know it, operation off. So the following week she leaves and she gets a total mastectomy and she's down uh, the bottom of the hill where the prison was. She's in the infirmary for a week and then they send her up to the camp. There's no nurses. There's no doctors up there. Mm. They would come in the morning to give everybody out their medicine. We took care of her. Mm. And what it, what it was also though for me is one of those things where, um, hey, I got my blood pressure pill in the morning and that was good. I was good to go. Right, you know what I mean? It's like very simple, but it, it made me constantly think about how completely and totally blessed that I was that I did not have, you know, and praying every day that nothing happened that I would really need to have the um, um, the uh, emergency medical care. And even in there, realizing that when it did happen for me, I had a really bad reaction to some seasoning or something. I had an allergic reaction and um, uh, had to, and I had an EpiPen, and I had to use the EpiPen, but what the reality is once you do that, you didn't have to go to the emergency room. You gotta see a doctor. Mm-hmm. So um, for, for the, um, the, the officer at night trying to convince me that I could wait till the morning, I'm like, no, I have to go. And I would not let up, and so they did call the ambulance, and I, they came and took, took me to the hospital, but, um, the, the, the so many of the women I talked to saying, how'd you get them to do that? How'd you get them to do that? What do you mean? How did I get them to do that? You mm-hmm. know? And so, but I understood. I came to understand what they meant because mm-hmm. they didn't understand how I could get them to go. Right. It was trauma every day. You know, I have to find some right. levity in it mm-hmm. because it was very, it was a very, it was a very traumatic experience, but it was also trauma leading up to that point. Because I think um, I've shared this story, you know, I know I've shared it with, I, I, I felt like I was in a fog for like two or three years before it even happened. And part of it is because of what was going on in our community. And, I, and by that I mean this, like, you know, I went to the Senate like wide-eyed, was oh, oh, I'm gonna help people figure out how to get summer camp and scholarships and found myself spending over the years more and more time tr- find, uh, trying to help families find ways to bury their children who didn't have insurance than I was on scholarships to mm-hmm. go to college. Mm-hmm. So 2007 was the year for me that it just really kind of turned upside down on its head. And you'll remember the story because who could forget it? I um, went into a deep depression over the murder of, of Stephen Odom, who I didn't even know. What I, I got to meet his, um, um, I got to meet his parents. Of mm-hmm. course, we were all horrified by the story, right. and um, you know, I had seen Reverend Odom a, a, a around, but I didn't know him. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that week, just getting to know that family and trying to make sense of that for me. You know, it kind of like blew everything I knew, what I was telling people. I think even though we didn't say it out loud, that we, we kind of like in our minds had convinced ourselves that the 
that the violence that had been visited upon our community was only happening to people who were in that space and you know somewhere they shouldn't have been in any way and then came Stephen Odom like you know walking home from a basketball uh, practice running because he's trying to make you know the curfew and um, literally outside his door um, his parent and mom's in the kitchen and the shots ring out and she intuitively knew when she heard the basketball bouncing after the shots right. that it, it was probably her son and looking out that door and seeing him laying on the ground. So when I got to the house in the front yard, there were like 50, 60 children. I said, his, his classmates from the Timothy in the front yard, bent over crying and wailing and crying. And I, it was a scene that was so surreal to me that um, I couldn't even process it. My trauma got triggered by watching what some, happened to somebody else. If that makes sense. No, it does. Mm -hmm. It does. And I'm looking through all our questions. She's answered. <laughs> right. You, uh, anything the, that you want to ask Trudell before uh, we? How was the reentry process, right? I, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so again, perfect example. You know, I um, first I had a I had a I had a job. I had people calling me saying, "Please, I just, you you know, come work with me until you figure out what you want to do." Um, and so even in the even in the traumatic experience, mm -hmm. what I was uh, 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 dealing with was understanding that even in that context, my situation was different than most. That's not reentry for most of the people that I was dealing with that I'm talking to, right? It's just not. I was I'm, I was in a position where I did that was able to go and work with um, Dr. Omar Reed for a, a while, helping them organize while I created my own business like I could create my own space I you know I love the the whole economic development process of wealth building um, you know assisting uh, black and Latino businesses because I believe that having a healthy business um, community is critical to having a healthy community and that's what I do but most people can't do that that's not re-entry for most I'm not bitter I'm not angry so serving other people is the way I deal with it so you have really figured a way through this really challenging point in your life. I, mean, I don't you, think I did. I think it was that's done just for what me. it was. God, yeah, God. Okay, God, you something you trying to tell me? I'm supposed to be here, so I'm going. I'm going with it. All right. Well, I want to thank you yes. for being so candid and open with us. This has really been uh, insightful into that period of your life. I can feel that there's a lot more we're going to hear about mm -hmm. this at some point you think mm -hmm. a lot uh, more to tell a lot more to, sh okay. to share and 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 i really want to thank you for all the work you've done yeah. in this community that you've always done in this community but certainly in this period of COVID, it's been uh, outstanding and i'm your witness on all of that <laughs> well i appreciate you letting me um you want to talk about our COVID work but also just talking about the experience like i said i think i don't know people are afraid to ask people don't ask me they don't understand. I would love to talk about it. I, I, because I, I think that people need to know, you know, what that sacrifice is. I said, especially for the overwhelming majority of for women, you know, um, the U.S. Sentencing Commission did a report on the impact of the increase of women being plucked out of the communities and how the communities suffer because they were the ones who were literally lifting it up. So it's no different here if you think about it you know, what would happen. So it's, it's not just my imagination. Turns out that's part of a study that was done and it's real.
and more and more women are being incarcerated, exactly. I understand. Exactly. Well, again, thank you, Diane thank Wilkerson. Thank you. And I'll see you out there <laughs> on the front line. And that is it for this uh, week's Just Between Us. We hope you'll continue to join us for these conversations and for our weekly Zoom conversations called Can We Talk, where people from all walks of life share their stories of loss, grief, hope, and healing. If you want to learn more about Can We Talk and the Corey Johnson program, visit our website at rpcsocialimpactctr.org. Thank you everyone for listening. Be well.